Good morning, Veritas Dayton. You want to grab a seat? Peace be with you. It's good to be with you guys this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. It's on page 588 on the white or blue paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. If uh, you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those. Turn to page 588. That'll get you to 1 Peter 1. We're looking at verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, those white or blue paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench, take that home. We'd love for you to take that home and make it your own. Um, That would be our, our gift to you this morning. Um, You also received, when you walked in this morning, a Connect card. If you have anything that we could be in prayer for you about, please uh, jot a few things down on the Connect card. We'd love to be in prayer for you this week. We kind of a joy and honor to be able to do that. So please uh, take a moment to to jot a few things down in the uh, Connect card. Uh, It's not attached. It's actually inside. It's an insert. Um, So, yeah, grab one of those and and jot a few things down that we could be uh, praying for you about, and we'd love to pray for you this week. It's good to be back. We've been gone for the last couple of weeks on vacation, out of town, so on and so forth. So we are so incredibly glad to uh, be back with you. We got to visit some wonderful churches uh, on the Lord's Day the last couple of Sundays, but it just made us miss you guys all the more. And so we, uh, we're so glad to be back this morning and uh, with you. We're looking at First Peter 1, 1 and 2. We're looking at the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanctifies God's people. Um, so one of the things that has been um, somewhat unique to American Christianity is the, um, the sort of obsession we have with revival. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that or experienced that at all, but uh, it's not to say revival is at all a uniquely American thing, but the sort of uh, obsession with it is what we might call revivalism. Uh, revivalism, when you add the ism to it, it's this obsession with uh, extraordinary moves of the Holy Spirit, even to the point where, where one believes that there's something inherently wrong with uh, the ordinary life of the church, or, or even to the point where ministers would employ sometimes manipulative methods to, to work people up into emotional frenzies, thinking that they could manufacture revival. That's something that's unique to the United States. And one of my favorite commentaries on this comes from uh, Mark Twain. Um, most of us would be familiar with Mark Twain's The, uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Uh, chapter 22, Huck Finn quotes scripture. It's a great, short, quick, funny little story that sort of pokes fun at American revivalism. And about midway through the chapter, uh, Tom comes down with the measles. And uh, Twain pins, for, for two long weeks, Tom lay a prisoner, dead to the world and its happenings. And after those, uh, those two weeks, Tom finally recovers. He takes to the town, but he notices something is dramatically different in his, his little town there. Uh, it, the story says that there had been a revival, uh, a revival, and everyone had got religion uh, in those two short weeks that Tom had been out of commission. And, and it says not only the adults, but even the boys and girls had got religion. Uh, and Tom, it says, Tom went about hoping against hope, Uh, for the sight of one blessed sinful face in the town there. But disappointment crossed him everywhere. He he found Joe Harper studying a testament. He he sought Ben Rogers and and found him visiting the poor with a basket of tracts. 
He hunted up Jim Hollins, who, was his, uh, who called his attention to the precious blessing of his late measles as a warning. And, uh, and he finally, the story says, he flew to refuge. The, the only one he thought might be left who, who didn't take or, or, or who might have not got religion in those two short weeks. He flew to refuge to the bosom of Huckleberry Finn and was received with a scriptural quotation. Ah. The next day, Tom uh, relapsed again. He was sick again, and this time for three weeks, he did nothing but lay in his bed. Uh, and this time, uh, after the three weeks was done, he, he returned to the town expecting to find everyone doing much the same um, that he saw them doing several weeks ago. But instead, he turns a corner and he finds Joe Harper and Huck Finn in an alley eating a stolen melon. It says, poor lads. Like Tom, they had suffered a relapse. It's a funny story, um, but unfortunately, it's all too familiar. There's a reason that uh, the neighborhood in Chicago that the great revivalist Charles Finney uh, preached in would later become uh, called the the burned-over district. It reveals something that we need to understand, that what we often call revival is not actually revival. What we are sometimes prone to call demonstrative or powerful or extraordinary moves of the Holy Spirit are nothing of the sort. Uh, getting, getting pumped up and being overcome by good feelings and good vibes doesn't equate to a move of the Holy Spirit. Okay, like anyone could manipulate people into feeling those sorts of feelings that people often feel in a so-called revival. Just get a few eight-note build-ups, some guitar delay, uh, a fog machine, a sweet light show, and, and you could uh, manufacture what we often call revival. Uh, but interestingly, you could get the same thing at a Justin Bieber concert. And I'm not a hater. I'm, I'm a believer. I like Justin Bieber. But let's not equate the work of the Holy Spirit to something you could find at a Justin Bieber concert. And, you know, something we don't quickly call, as quickly call an extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit is the slow, ordinary, seemingly mundane transformation of character that takes place over a long period of time in a Christian's life. That's called sanctification. It's called sanctification, and yet Scripture actually tells us that this is one of the clearest ways we see the Spirit at work in His people today. It's not sexy. It doesn't always involve good vibes and good feelings. In fact, much of the time there's struggle and suffering and discomfort involved, but yet this is an extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And this is what we want to talk about this morning, sanctification. So with that in mind, let's dig into our text. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You you can have a seat. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So our big idea this morning as we narrow in on a very small portion of text in verse 2 is that the Holy Spirit graciously and supernaturally sanctifies God's people. The Holy Spirit graciously and supernaturally sanctifies 
God's people. And we're going to get into the meaning and application of that by looking at first the definition of sanctification, second the agent of sanctification, and third the pursuit of sanctification. Um, so first, the definition of sanctification. We, we see in 1 Peter 1 and 2 uh, how the triune God is at work for our salvation. Uh, God the Father elects us according to his divine foreknowledge. Uh, God the Son, our Lord, uh, he is the one whom we obey and who shed his blood for us and who sprinkles us with his blood. And God the Spirit sanctifies us. He sanctifies us. Peter says that the elect exiles in these various regions are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Now, at its basic level, the word sanctify or sanctification simply means to set apart for sacred purposes. Okay? A, a synonym might be the word holy or hallowed. We just prayed, hallowed be your name. Uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer. That simply means to set apart, to set apart in one's heart, in one's life, to, to, to be set apart. And one of the things that you see in the New Testament is that this word sanctification is actually used in a couple different ways. Uh, sometimes you see the word sanctification in reference to Christians. It's, it's talking about what we might call positional sanctification. And sometimes you see that word, it's talking about progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification means that we are in Jesus, okay? Progressive sanctification is the process of our being made like Jesus. Uh, Positional sanctification is something that happens to a follower of Jesus at the moment of conversion. Uh, Right when someone begins to follow Jesus, they are sanctified. They are set apart. They belong to Christ. This takes place when someone is born again and when they are united with Jesus through faith. We talked about those two things the last two Sundays, the new birth and how the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us. The the salvation of Jesus Christ is applied to us by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit and who is one with Jesus Christ is already completely positionally sanctified. It's an event that takes place in a moment, and it's something that's true at your whole life. At every moment of your life, if you're a Christian, you are sanctified, positionally speaking, because Christians are made one with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is holy. All that are in him are therefore holy, are sanctified. This is why Paul can write to this church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, this church that has rampant sexual immorality, this church whose worship gatherings are a mess, this church who is severely abusing the the Lord's Supper, he can write to them in 1 Corinthians 1-2 and say to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, he's calling them saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are saints. It's a position. It's a definitive fact. It's an identity that all those in Christ Jesus possess at all times. But there's a problem because although we've received this new position and the new birth and and we're united with Christ— we also continue to have these sort of sinful habits and proclivities. We continue to carry around the the old Adam with us, although we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so we also see in the New Testament the process of sanctification, the process of sanctification. It's, It's often referred to as progressive sanctification, and this is usually what we're referring to when we talk about sanctification around here. Generally, that's what we're talking about. 
And this is the aspect of, of sanctification that I want to focus more on this morning. And Peter is actually referring to both, I believe, uh, here in 1 Peter 1 and 2. Notice he says in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Uh, for sprinkling with his blood speaks more to our positional sanctification. For obedience to Jesus Christ speaks more to our progressive sanctification as we grow in obedience to Jesus Christ. Uh, progressive sanctification is something that takes time. Okay, it's, it's not an event. Uh, being born again is an event. Being justified, we often talk about justification around here, being justified is an event. It's a declarative event. Positional sanctification is an event. Progressive sanctification is not an event, but a process. Justification is God declaring us to be righteous. Sanctification is God making us actually righteous. Uh, being born again is the, uh, is the event of birth into the family of God, and sanctification is us growing up in that family. Uh, positional sanctification is our being set apart as holy. Progressive sanctification is our actually becoming holy. As Pastor JJ addressed last week, how the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us, this progressive sanctification is one of the aspects of Christ's salvation that the Holy Spirit applies to us. And what progressive sanctification is, is it's the gradual transformation of our moral and spiritual character so that we continue to be more and more like Jesus Christ. This is the the process that begins when we're born again. When we're born again, we receive new desires, desires to honor and obey God. And, 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 And our our desire to love our neighbors and serve our neighbors, desire to think God's thoughts after him. But those new desires are the beginning. Sanctification is the progressive growth and outworking of those new desires. Understand, sanctification, though, is is, is not a sort of superficial moral change, okay? It's not a sort of superficial moral change. We might be tempted to think of sanctification as God being our divine butler who is helping us with our self-improvement projects. That's not what sanctification is. Sanctification, it's not superficial moral improvement. It's a total renovation of the entire human being uh, through knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. I I love how Paul describes sanctification in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all Listen, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit causes us to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he causes us to be transformed more and more into the image of the Lord of glory so that we might be a clear picture of his life and love to one another and to the world, so that we might be clear, uh, spotless mirrors that reflect his image to the world. Far from superficial self-improvement, this is the Holy Spirit causing us to supernaturally behold Jesus Christ, to become more like Christ. This is the means and the end of sanctification, to be beholding Christ, the means, and to become more like Christ, the end of sanctification. And it's progressive, it's, it's gradual. You see that in, in 2 Corinthians 3.19 again. He, he says, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's a relational sort of organic process. And we, and we struggle with that. I, I know we struggle with that. We're used to, to mechanical sort of electronic things, aren't we? We're, we're used to pressing a button and getting what we want. 
Uh, we're used to, to, to pressing a button and our dishes, they get washed. It's magic. It's amazing. It's so fast. It's, it's incredible. We turn a key and our car starts. It's amazing. We, we, uh, we, we, we press a few buttons on our phones and money is transferred from one account to another. We can just press buttons and things happen. It's automatic. Well, sanctification is not like that. Sanctification is more like a child growing up into maturity through the nurture, care, and provision of their parents. Sanctification is more like apples growing on an apple tree. You don't press a button and boom, you're automatically rid of, of anger or lust or greed. It's, pro, it's progressive, it's gradual, it's organic, it's, it's relational. It takes time and it happens through the ordinariness and mundaneness of everyday life as we patiently and ordinarily participate in the means of grace together, as we share life together, as we read the Bible and pray. It's taking place as you come to corporate worship, even when nothing seemingly significant happens. It's taking place as we, in, in seemingly insignificant moments, when we choose to be patient with our spouse or with our children rather than get angry. As you choose to listen instead of make yourself heard at, at, with, uh, uh, in conversation with someone in your city group. In these sort of insignificant, forgettable moments and, and these sort of habits and practices that we experience from day to day, the Holy Spirit is slowly making us into something beautiful. He's slowly making us in to image bearers of Jesus Christ. In, in the mundane and the ordinary stuff of everyday life, he is working to make us like the loving, gracious, patient, kind, and gentle Savior that we so adore. And it is the Holy Spirit who's doing it. Who, who is the one at work in us? Who is the agent of our sanctification? Uh, undoubtedly, there's, there's more than one way we can answer that question, but, but the way our text this morning answers it is that the Holy Spirit is the one. He's the one at work in our sanctification. Peter says uh, in in verse 2 that we are elect in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. The agent of our sanctification is the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the New Testament bears witness to this. We're going to go through tons of scriptures really quickly. Boom, boom, boom. So just uh, try to keep up. uh, Galatians 5 speaks of life in the Spirit and the process of sanctification very clearly. We looked at Galatians 5 uh, some time ago, so I'm not going to go into it too deeply. But Paul, the writer of Galatians in uh, 5.16, he exhorts us, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, there's the event of being born again, the new birth, Then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the process of sanctification. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul even gives a list of of character traits that typify the sanctified life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are called, these sanctified character traits are called the fruit of the Spirit. He's the one who produces this in us. The fruit brought forth in us is from the overflow of the Spirit, the overflow of his life within us. You also saw uh, Paul speak of the sanctifying work of the Spirit last week when you looked at Romans 8. Uh, Verse 2, Paul says that the Spirit has set Christians free from the law of sin and death. We're free from the law of sin and death. In verse 4, he says that Christians walk not according to the flesh, that is our sinful nature. We don't walk according to our sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. In verse 5, Paul says that Christians set their minds, not on the things of our sinful nature, not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. In verse 7, he says that those who, who are in the flesh can't submit to God's law, leading us to then conclude that those who are in the Spirit can submit to God's law and obey it. 
Verse 13 says that by the Spirit, we put sinful deeds to death. We put, to death to, we put sin to death by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And verse 26 and 27 uh, says that, that the, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf so that all of this can take place within us. The Apostle Peter, who authored our text this morning, he says much the same. In, in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, he writes, His divine power, he's talking about God's divine power. Who is God's divine power in our life? The Holy Spirit. His divine power has granted to us, listen, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them, listen, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Hear that? In sanctification, the process of sanctification, we become, we become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world and sinful desires. And how, do, how does this happen? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. He is the one who grows us in Christ-likeness. He is the one who makes us holy. He is the one who grows us in love and grace and peace. Let me tell you something, apart from the Holy Spirit, you don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. It has to be, as we said before, a gracious and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's not to say that we're entirely passive in the work of sanctification. We'll get to that in a moment. We need to recognize that this is a work of divine grace. And we we need him to do this gracious and supernatural work within us. And we have some of it a, a, of a picture of this. It's Father's Day. Use a little illustration for fathers. Fathers uh, are, are those who are committed to protecting their children from evil, right? Fathers are, are those who are committed, and, and moms are too, obviously, uh, but, but parents in general are committed to protecting our children from evil. Children either tend to minimize or be oblivious to the reality of evil and, and brokenness in this world and, and that which also remains in them. Uh, they, they tend to be oblivious to the evil and brokenness of the world. They're not, they're, they're not automatically on guard against the inevitable temptation that they're going to face on a day-to-day basis. They seem to be oblivious to the reality that, that their little ears are going to hear things that they should not ever hear. They're oblivious to, to the reality that their little eyes are going to see things that they should have never seen. The deceitful pleasures of sin are going to be shoved in front of their faces again and again. They also be, tend to minimize or be oblivious to the reality of sinfulness within them. They, don't minim, they, they, they minimize or don't understand that the biggest danger in their lives is the sin that lurks within the crevices of their own hearts. And both these things are, are, are true of us. They remain true of us as God's children. We unfortunately, much of the time, walk o- around unaware of the, des- uh, of the deceitful temptations of the world and the lurking hidden sin within our own hearts. We forget how temptable we are, don't we? We don't take precaution for our protection like we should. And, and God knows that we're like this. And so he gives us the, the, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, who's infinitely more committed to our sanctification than we are. He is infinitely more committed to making us people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control than even we are. He is committed to doing this. 
as uh, Cornelius Plantanga Jr. put it, he said, we, we tend to make two mistakes when we think about the redeemed life. The first is to underestimate the sin that remains in us. It's still there and it can still hurt us. The second is to underestimate the strength of God's grace. God is determined to make us new. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us new. He's sanctifying us. He protects us from the temptation and deceitfulness of the world. And he he protects us from the deceitfulness within our very own hearts. And that's good news. Because that means that he's not only saved us from the condemnation of sin, but he has saved us and is saving us from the power of sin as well. But but that, that doesn't mean then that we are entirely passive in this work of sanctification. In one sense, we are. In one sense, we're entirely dependent upon the Spirit to do this gracious and supernatural work in us. It has to be a work of of divine, supernatural grace. But in another sense, we're not passive in this work of sanctification. Part of what the Spirit does in us, in the new birth, and in sanctification, is He causes us to cooperate with Him in this work. And so lastly, look with me at the pursuit of sanctification. Look at Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Paul writes there to the church in Philippi, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so the working out of, of your salvation, there is the, 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 the work, that is the work of sanctification. It's not working for your salvation. It's not working up to a place of having received salvation. But sanctification is the working out of your salvation. And notice the exhortation there. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a call to action there. There's a call to action. There's a call to pursue something, namely obedience. But lest you think that even your sanctification ultimately depends on you, notice what he says then, immediately falling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that he worked harder in his ministry than all of the other apostles, but then he says, it was not I, but the grace of God within me. You see, even your willingness and work in cooperation with his sanctification is his work. He animates us in order to cooperate with him. But still, the call to work out your own salvation is a real pursuit we're called to as believers. The Holy Spirit is the agent, yes. He is the one who works in us, yes. But we're not idle in the work of sanctification. We're not entirely passive in this work. We're called to something here. But let's get more specific. What is it that we're called to do? How do we work out our salvation? As we often talk uh, about around here, we know that God is a God of means, He's a God of means. He not only ordains the ends, sanctification, he ordains the means for which or through which sanctification comes. He doesn't just give us commands like work out your own salvation with fear and trembling without also giving us concrete practices in order to pursue these commands. Like abstraction is the enemy of sanctification. Okay, so he also gives us means, and there's a number of means that the Holy Spirit gives for this purpose. He gives us prayer and the Lord's Supper. He gives us church membership and spiritual friendship, baptism and corporate worship and more. But I want to highlight three really briefly before we close, three that I think might be particularly necessary for us. First, in our pursuit of sanctification, we must have intake of the scriptures. 
I, I know the other elders and I, we seem to talk about this a lot, to, to talk about the intake of the Holy Scriptures, and we do this because it's so incredibly important and vital. Like, see, see what we emphasize on a week-to-week basis, and, and it's probably going to be something along these lines. The Word of God, the chief means through which God, through which the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in His people today, is His Word. Like, you're not just going to, you're not going to grow as a Christian if you're not regularly receiving and hearing the Word of God. You're not going to grow as a Christian if you're not engaging when the Word is preached, if you're not reading and meditating and memorizing the Word of God, if you're not discussing and pressing into your questions about the Word with your city group. There's just, there's a reason that Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. And he's not saying that, that the word and the spirit are these two opposed things happening in sanctification. They're working together. The Holy Spirit is using the word of God to work his sanctification in us. It is the chief means that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify his people. Next, in pursuit of our sanctification, we must have an intrusive community. An intrusive community. As Michael Horton put it, he said, sanctification, the process of becoming holy, is a team sport. You can't grow on your own. You need the family of God. You know, Jesus didn't give us the Holy Spirit merely as individuals. He gave us the Holy Spirit through and for the ministry of the local church. Like one of the chief means he uses to form and build up his people is his people, i.e. the local church. And I use that word intrusive here very intentionally, okay? An intrusive community because as the family of God, we need to give one another permission to be somewhat intrusive, We need to give one another permission to be somewhat intrusive. Now, I said this several Sundays ago, but there's no one better at excusing my sin than me. There's no one better at at excusing and minimizing my own sin than I am. Like, it is amazing what I let myself get away with. I venture to say the, the, the same is true of you. So we need an intrusive local church family. Like, we need to give up the notion that nobody knows us better than ourselves. There are people around us, our spouses, other members of this church in this room here that know us better than we know ourselves. There are other people that see us more clearly than we see ourselves. And we need to give them permission to speak into our lives even when what they have to say is not very pleasant for us. The Holy Spirit uses his people to sanctify his people. And if you want to be a stagnant Christian, be a lone Christian. So I ask you, are are there a few people in your life that they know that they can come to you and speak into your life? Like, have you given them permission, verbal permission? If not, you need it. Lastly, in pursuit of our sanctification, we need to be invariably vulnerable to the Holy Spirit's leading in sanctification. So he's going to use the means of the word, of an intrusive community, but are we going to be invariably vulnerable to his convicting and sanctifying work in our lives through those means? Are we going to be hardened instead? Are we going to be hardened and harden ourselves? That's one of the scariest things about the means of grace is if you're not softening while sitting under the word and receiving the Lord's Supper and in this intrusive community, if you're not softening through those means, you're more than likely being hardened instead. You're hardening yourself continually. And I know, I know, this, this is something that's particularly difficult for us because we live in a time and place and an age when authenticity is the sort of chief virtue. 
throwing off inhibitions, an untempered self-expression is seen as a virtuous thing. I just watched uh, Jimmy Fallon the other night, and Christina Aguilera was on there coming out with her new album. She is an incredible singer. Oh, my goodness. But she was talking about her, her new album, Liberated, and, and, and she talked about her, her, the message of her album is to be your true self, to not let anyone change you, to, not, to, to, to just uh, have this sort of untempered self-expression. She talked about being authentic as not letting anyone or anything in life change you. And that's everywhere. Like, I... Every Disney movie that we watch is trying to condition us and our children to think that untempered self-expression is the most important character trait in life. And that things like family and relationships, uh, tradition, institutions only get in the way of that. And let me tell you, that, that is the way of death. That will not lead to us being our true selves in all reality, even though it might feel like it in the moment. That leads to us being our false selves and wasting away into a lonely, angry, and diminished existence. I know, on the one hand, like authenticity can be a virtuous, good thing if we think of it as being transparent, right? It is good, but throwing off any willingness to change, being determined to let nothing or no one change you is a sure way to self-destruction. And so you know what's better than authenticity? Vulnerability. Not only being transparent, but being willing to change, being willing willing to question ourselves and being open to rebuke. Being open to change because of instruction in God's word or because someone in our intrusive community confronts us about something. Being invariably vulnerable to the Spirit's conviction, being open to his leading, being invariably vulnerable to sanctification. So I implore you, Veritas, please devote yourself to the intake of Holy Scripture, to intrusive relationships within our church family, to being invariably vulnerable to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, this progressive sanctification that we've talked about this morning is never going to be completed on this side of glory. Sanctification is never done until you die or Christ returns. So you must always be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And you must always be in pursuit of growing in Christ-likeness. But as you're devoted to this, always remember that it ultimately doesn't depend on you, but it depends on the Holy Spirit. The the work of sanctification is the work, the gracious and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one. He is the agent. He is the one who sanctifies God's people. And he's more committed to making you into something beautiful than you are. He's more committed to your joy than you are. He's more committed to your flourishing than you are. He's more committed to transforming you into Christ-likeness than you are. And he, because he's committed to it, he will do it. And Paul says in, in Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And Veritas, I'm sure that he will do the same with you. The Holy Spirit is with you to sanctify you, to make you more and more like our wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth, but the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be devoted to being an intrusive community, a people who, who don't mind being confronted, or even if we mind it, still being vulnerable to it. Help us be a people who, who give one another permission to speak into our lives with boldness. Lord, and help us to be continually vulnerable to the leading of the Holy Spirit and his work of sanctification and perseverance in our lives. Lord, we need this 
from you. We need it. And we're powerless to do it in and of ourselves. And so we cry out, pour out your spirit upon us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.